Hello, welcome. We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the South Radio Network. I'm Joe Clinton. My regular co-hosts this week, as usual, are Neil Bradley and Harrison Keeley. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. We also have Jason Martin in the studio this week. Hey, what's going on, people? He's here to... To... Make a complete fool of myself. No. Hopefully not. In front of um, tens of people. <laughs> in front of tens of thousands of people. Applause, applause, applause. So uh, this week we are hopefully going to be talking to uh, Scott Rickard. Scott is a former U.S. intelligence officer, uh, a linguist, and veteran of the communications technology and national security industries. For For three decades, Scott worked with national security and international service providers in SIGINT or Signals Intelligence, communication security, and open source intelligence, advising a number of governments' intelligence agencies on analyzing and prioritizing their intelligence collection efforts. Scott continues to monitor, corroborate, and communicate fact-based research and analysis of the international business environment and emerging technologies and geopolitical developments. In recent years, he has been an outspoken critic of U.S. foreign policy and blanket public surveillance and has made a number of appearances on RT, Sputnik, and Press TV. We are, instead of beating around the bush, we're going to go ahead and try and um, call Scott right now. Good afternoon, this is Scott. Hi, Scott. This is Joe from... Hey, Joe Quinn. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, how are you? Nice to uh, <clears throat> nice to meet you. Nice to both. Yes, likewise. Um, likewise. Uh, we, just, we just kind of started the show, and we more or less just gave... Uh, uh, a little intro. Um, okay. Uh, we, your kind of uh, your brief bio that we that we put up. Um, oh, thank you. With with me is um, Harrison, Neil, and Jason. Hello. Okay. Good to have you, Scott. All right, so Scott. we have a bit of hey, a, a team here. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. So yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, we've been. I, I personally have seen you around obviously the kind of things that, that I've been looking at over the past 10 years or so uh, have been um, you know kind of the geopolitical situation and terrorism and the war on terror all that kind of stuff and I've seen you uh, quite a long time ago I think um, appearing in different places I know we, we just mentioned in, in our blurb about you that you, uh, you've been on RT and Sputnik and Press TV talking about yes. basically what's going on in the world and um, but um and we give a little background, your, your background in the uh, intelligence community specifically. And I mean, we don't have in the blurb for you, we don't have in your bio um, a reference to the NSA. Right, right, right. Well, I was, uh, to give you a background, I, um, I started out in the Air Force as a uh, an Arabic and a Korean linguist. I flew in the okay. back of the RC-135. It was a uh, intelligence collection platform. 
And I also uh-huh. worked with the uh, the Downlink signal collection pra- platform that was uh, uh, where they used the U2 program uh, to uh, do signals intelligence. This was prior to the uh, the geospatial satellite uh, technology that they use today. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then uh, you know throughout that uh, I worked uh, I, I left um, I actually worked in uh, Asia and I worked in Europe and uh, Middle East. And then I came back to the States, and then I worked at uh, NSA for about a year and a half. And mm-hmm. then uh, I came down to came down to work at NASA um, and uh, Kennedy Space Center in uh, Cape Canaveral, uh, doing a bunch of uh, work with um, advanced network systems and computer systems. And, you know, after that, I was mm-hmm. doing a whole bunch of consulting and and uh, did some startup companies and. And now uh, I'm actually moving into another startup company here at the end of the year. Uh, to uh, are you familiar with uh, LavaBit? Uh huh. Yeah, the, one of my one of my colleagues uh, um, uh, acquired uh, LavaBit from the founders, and he's a major shareholder in the company now. And uh, we're going to try to put something together that will. Uh, um, be a sustainable uh, commercial product that people can have protected uh, protected email okay. systems uh, from the government, right? Uh, so LavaBit is uh, is what? It's an encryption or? Yeah, it's what Edward Snowden was using when he uh, when he was communicating um, uh, with um, his his group of people, um, and the government was going after the LavaBit servers, and they basically just said right. no and shut down the services. And, and, uh, so that's where I've heard it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, you probably kind of, heard it before. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned LavaBit and, and encryption because that's actually uh, in the aftermath of these Paris uh, terror attacks last weekend. Um, there's one of the things the French government, anyway, and I think the U.S. government is, has has jumped on it as well. U.S. lawmakers have jumped on it, uh, saying that we need to. Uh, basically do away with encryption to stop allowing people, ordinary people, to encrypt their information. Um, and this right. is despite the fact that the so-called terrorists had didn't use any encryption. There was no encrypted information that, that the terrorists were using. Yeah, um, they were sending text messages to each other. Right, on, on Facebook, yeah. Sure. No, I, I, I looked at a lot of the uh, information I could find. I imagine you guys are a lot closer. Is everyone on the call uh, out of, uh, out of uh, Paris as well? or? Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, you guys are a lot closer to it, uh, obviously being there and keeping a much closer eye on. But the uh, the information I've been able to get has uh, really shown that you know these individuals, you know, obviously were Europeans, uh, uh, you know, certainly uh, sympathetic to the uh, um, the fight against imperialism. The targets were, you know, not random. You know, these were you know, specific targets that were, spe- you know, one was uh, the concert hall was specifically targeting. Uh, Israel and their, uh, um, uh, you know, their their ownership of that venue, as well as the um, the individuals that are very outspoken against uh, things like the, um, the the boycott and divestment uh, type of uh, 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 efforts. So you have, uh, um, you know, actually one of the band members actually, uh, you know, used some foul language in reference to Roger Waters. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, it, it's these uh these particular individuals we would consider them you know sort of nazi youth uh you know not that i'm you know damning the german people but you know certainly even within the american uh, military i referred to a lot of my colleagues as nazi youth 
because they mm-hmm. were a bit uh, taking taking their jobs a bit too seriously. So you know that's that happens, uh, and and certainly within all of our respective you know societies and governments, we have extreme individuals who um, you know when you're when you're trying to combat that, and you know you've lost your father, your mother, your brothers or sisters. Uh, you certainly have a different agenda, and, and uh, I'm not sympathizing with the attacks on Paris, but I understand uh, why they're uh, frustrated, and I certainly understand uh, um, that they may even have been duped into it. Uh, um, I don't have mm-hmm. any um, particular details to back that up, but certainly uh, the uh, the Western uh, intelligence services have been doing that for quite some time. I mean, they did it in mm-hmm. Vietnam under Operation Phoenix. Uh, they certainly did it in Europe under Operation Gladio. Uh, they've mm-hmm. done it in South America, Operation Condor. Uh, they did it in uh, in Iran, Operation Ajax. So, you know, and, and certainly all these color revolutions don't look very good on the West as well. You know, the, mm-hmm. the Rose Revolution, Orange Revolution, and, and so on. So, you know, there are just way too many uh, incidences that the West has uh, overpowered other countries. Uh, and uh, I think uh, the title of the program was a uh, police state. Uh, I would call it more of a terrorist state uh, because of the the amount of, uh, you know, governments that have been overthrown and, and uh, certainly received the wrath of, of uh, Western economic and military power. So hmm. I, I just, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't sympathize. My, my condolences go out to the people that have lost their lives, but uh, it's certainly um, a, uh, uh it is a um, a war that they will never win. And when you're out killing other uh, people's families, there are going to be people that want revenge, and there are mm-hmm. going to be people that uh, are willing to do anything to, um, you know, to make a statement, and, and they they're willing to lose their lives for it, just as much as the West is brainwashed and willing to lose their lives for their, uh, you know, the economic and and uh, military dominance uh, that their governments, mm-hmm. uh, you know really overlay i mean look what's happened to africa you know over the last uh, few centuries uh with the european dominance of africa so mm-hmm. it's just uh you know and and i i said this actually uh yesterday to one of uh, the guys that i was interviewing with yesterday from k2 intelligence um mm-hmm. he uh he was talking and i said well look at greece i mean here's an exa- a great example if greece were not caucasian people uh, they would be t- being treated far worse, and they still have to beg for two billion dollars, uh, which is you know per capita. You know there are only ten million people in Greece. It's thirty mm-hmm. times smaller than the U.S., but that's only sixty billion. But yet we gave ourselves almost four hundred billion dollars a couple of weeks ago, and there was no questions asked. So mm-hmm. um, you know we basically gave ourselves almost uh, um, seven times what the Greeks are begging for and, uh, um, and, you know, per capita and the, uh, um, and the Greeks are still, you know, having to, you know, give their, you know, their, their firstborn child to get that. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very strange situation and, and God forbid that they weren't a Caucasian society because then they would be in the very dire straits. Yeah. Um, Scott, I just wanted to go back a little bit because uh, I think maybe we kind of jumped the gun a little bit there because I wanted to talk a little bit about your 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 background and your history. Um, obviously, you, sure. you had a government job. You had a government job, right? Um, sure. With the 
obviously there's no future in that for you because you're no longer in it, right? Um, but I, I wanted to um, I wanted to ask you, given what you're what you kind of speak about today, was there anything in your in your experience in the in the past working for working within the U.S. intelligence community? Was there something that happened, something that you saw that kind of galvanized you to kind of either get out or to send you on the kind of path you've been on since then? Or have you always been a conspiracy theorist as CNN once called you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, 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 certainly, they certainly didn't do their research. Uh, Brian Stel- uh, Seltzer didn't even know my uh, my name, uh, and and, uh, uh-huh. and to be uh, to be up against Liz Wall, you know, that's uh, that's like yeah. a, uh, that's that's not that's not not much of a formidable uh, opponent. <laughs> so, opponent? No, yeah, exactly. Well, my father was military, and I grew up in the military uh, as a child, and. Uh, he was very, um, very loyal. Um, you know, the U.S. society is, is very well trained to be loyal. You know, our schools were actually based on the Prussian uh, school systems. And uh, obviously our education was based on uh, British education. So we, you know, we all lived and breathed the Encyclopedia Britannica. And let's be clear, that's not the Encyclopedia Americanica. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, we, 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 were, we were all very well trained and very well brainwashed. It's very much like other countries, you know, with their uh, um, stilt or, uh, cert, um, you know, a spin on history. So, you know, and, and, and not there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, place to question it when I was a child and certainly when my, when my father was a child. And he, even though he had, you know, incredibly good jobs in the military and post-military, he, he obviously, uh, you know, didn't have the kind of access to information that we have today. Uh, you know, I don't you know if you guys remember having to search through Dewey Decimal Systems and track down books, and and then sadly, you know, we yep. I don't know if you did, but we all we all have believed the Encyclopedia Britannica was true, uh, when in fact it turns out a lot of that stuff was uh, was very untrue. So you know, as as I got older and started to work in the intelligence community, I could see that um, in my early twenties, I could see that you know, hey, wait a second, that's not what happened. Why are they saying that in the news? That's uh, that's strange that they would lie about that. And then um, the deal breaker for me is when I was working at NSA, uh, you know, uh, the whole Iran Contra scandal came out, and there was incontrovertible evidence in the intelligence community that uh, you know of the involvement of not just uh, the executive branch of government, but certainly the intelligence community as well as the military in far more than what they revealed in the, uh, and certainly in, in contrast to what they revealed uh, in the hearings. So we gathered up uh, classified information and sent it down to the Justice Department, and the Justice Department did nothing with it. Uh, so, you know, rather than going to the news or anything like that, uh, and so what it proved to me is that uh, there is no accountability. Uh, they hide behind the... Uh, the veil of national security when in fact it's really national embarrassment and national corruption. And so you have a, um, a, a group of individuals who do know the truth, but it's almost like being in the mob. You know, you don't want to rat on your boss. Well, first of all, you'll lose your seniority. Uh, secondly, uh, you know, you'll probably lose your retirement. And thirdly, there's a lot of people who, you know, believe that the ends justify the means. So um, you know there there's uh, there is that that uh, um, you know no matter how bad much bad is being done, the whatever good happens was worth the bad. So it's a 
it's a it's an interesting uh, dynamic, uh, and then uh, certainly you have people that are pushing agendas, you know, working for different uh, um, you know uh, uh, policy influencers, uh, uh, organizations uh, like APAC and those types of organizations. And those people have um, uh, very good connections within the military and the intelligence communities and, and government as well. Uh, there's been you know a lot of people in the State Department uh, that were handling the Middle East affairs. Uh, were mostly um, uh, extreme pro-Israel Zionists uh, and uh, um, predominantly uh, uh, of the Jewish faith. So they had, you know, t- make it, taken an effort to hire in within that particular division uh, individuals that would have a like-minded uh, um, agenda uh, for the State Department, and you know, obviously. Uh, carrying the torch for that type of uh, ideology is, you know, individuals like Hillary Clinton and such. So I started to see that kind of thing in the eighties uh, during the, that period. And I was, uh, I was only in my mid twenties and uh, I decided uh, um, that I was, you know, this was not for me. You know, this is, this is illegal. These guys are, it, it's not what I thought it would be. And uh, it's certainly far There's no avenue. There was no avenue at the time to, you know, I'd have to start my own radio network or newspaper, and I'd also, you know, would have been worried at that point about anything that I knew at that time uh, because, you know, there was classified information. I could go to jail. Well, lo and behold, you know, the uh, the technology community, you know, things. I don't know if you guys remember Gopher and Archie and things like that uh, back in the '80s. They were they were predecessors to the internet. Sorry, but your call cannot be completed.
Provided by Odin's Elevator Operators. So, okay, we're back. Sorry about that, folks. I'm going to try and get Scott back. Carry on, Scott Harrison. So, yeah, I guess just in the, you know, from the perspective of intelligence agencies, of course, they, they wouldn't want any sort of whistleblower. Now, in, you know, from my childhood, looking back on the way I was taught about the wars and stuff like that, and, uh, like World War II, how important it was to, to keep information secret and have these spy networks. And, um, you know, it made sense at the time when you think about it. In a war environment, you want to have secrets and you want to be able to keep them. But then, uh, and of course, you know, that could even apply on other levels with any kind of administration of a country. You've got secrets that you want to keep. And it might even be important to keep from other countries or maybe even from people within the country. But that's a very slippery slope, I think, when you get to what kind of stuff is kept secret. And the question then becomes, you know, what is what is something that should be revealed and that, that shouldn't be kept secret? And then how do you go about that when you have this entire establishment, this intelligence uh, community, that is designed to keep those things secret. You have kind of hit on the problem there, haven't you? Because the justification for keeping secrets is to keep secrets from your enemy. Mm-hmm. So if you're keeping secrets from your own population, then what does that make them? Your enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's kind of the way the intelligence community seem to treat the people of America as yeah. the enemy. And, and in a sense, they are, because if they were to find out sort of half the things that the, the people like the NSA and CIA are keeping secret, mm-hmm. well, then those people wouldn't be in power anymore. Well, theoretically, yeah. it's from down the line of theory of democracy, eventually they would get out of power. You know, they would lose support. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, they are the enemy. Mm-hmm. I think uh, George Bush Sr. said to someone at some point, Marty, or whatever the journalist's name was, if the American people knew half the things we'd done, They'd run us out of town tomorrow. All right, I think we have we have uh, Scott back here. Are you there, Scott? Yeah, sorry about that. The blog talk was hanging yeah. up on me. Yeah, no, I think that's our, our fault, or, or rather, blog talk radio's fault. Um, but yeah, I think we should be good to go now. Anyway, there was a question from Neil just as, uh, before you were cut off there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you, you're you're working in Intel and. A lot of guys get out um, or try to as whistleblowers, and it often ends up bringing a ton of trouble on their heads. Um, you you didn't go that route, right? You just got out and then became a consultant, and then you've appeared as a critic on current events. But you 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 were, I suppose my question is: Were you ever hounded by the powers that be in the U.S.? Speaking no, out. no, no. I mean, I think what what happened with me is that you know I'd left in the uh, um, the late '80s, and I, I worked in a government job until the mid '90s, 
but it was more along the lines of the technology infrastructure side of what they were deploying for uh, different uh, emerging technologies uh, throughout the Eastern Space Missile Command. And so when I left there, I was working more in the commercial industry. And, you know, as I was saying before I got cut off, the um, uh, there was real no avenue to, you know, have these kinds of global discussions and sharing information very freely. And, but with the advent of, uh, you know, the, uh, the the real Internet networking and, and uh, you know, list servers and, and those types of things as they came out, you know, I was using most of it for my work to um, advance the technology side. But at the same time, I developed a lot of um, you know, real uh uh, information gathering and analysis capabilities. And then as uh, the um, information became more and more useful, obviously the open source intelligence uh, um, uh, uh, availability just became like a Pandora's box. I mean, there was just so much information that was, you know, very qual- high quality that people weren't, you know, able to um, get before. And as one of the people that was speaking earlier, as I was waiting to come back on, said that, uh, you know, now this information that they didn't want you to know, people know, and, and certainly uh, they're not doing a lot about it, uh, but there are more and more people that are becoming aware of the fact that there are, you know, shadow government-type activities going on that are, you know, driving you know, foreign policy above and beyond, uh, you know, anything that the, uh, the even the politicians understand. You know, most of the politicians are... Uh, more or less puppets, they've been given those roles because of their uh, obedience and not their uh, uh, their dissident values. And, you know, other than you know, individuals maybe like Jeremy Corbyn, you know, who's risen to the top of the Labour Party in uh, in England, uh, but uh, outside of uh, individuals like him, the majority of others are uh, uh, very much yes-men uh, to, uh, to the system. So uh, did I, uh, at one point, you know, uh, see an opportunity to communicate with more people. Yes, I mean, I saw it was a great it was a great place to share information, and I started you know seeing individuals that uh, you know were in similar roles like me talking to each other and sharing current events and affairs. But as you know, the you know some of my colleagues that still work, uh, you know, they're obviously um, you know they have to avoid me uh, like the plague because they all have security clearances. Uh, but at the same time, they'll, you know, they privately talk to me and, you know, agree with what I'm saying. And, but they can't go public with it because they'll, they'll lose their security clearance. So, and, and then you also have, um, you know, individuals who, you know, actually believe in what they're doing, uh, sadly. And they, they think that they're doing the right thing by, uh, you know, committing these, uh, these crimes around the world and, and supporting them. So, you know, there, there's a lot of individuals, um, who, um, are, are more than happy to uh, um, disagree with what the government is saying, but not a lot of people are willing to do anything about it. And one of my friends who was in the embassy in Tehran uh, in the 70s, who understands uh, you know what the Americans were doing there, uh, subverting the uh, the Iranian government alongside the Shah, uh, he's one of the guys that introduced me to Press TV and gave me an opportunity to do some international uh, news. Um, uh, reports. And at the time, mm-hmm. I was writing articles and stuff like that and put blogging and putting it anywhere I could, but obviously that's a, a needle in the haystack for um, for the uh, the internet community. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know with, and, and unfortunately, 
Western media doesn't let, you know, opposition discussions like uh, we're having now um, on any type of mainstream networks. Uh, you're not going to see these kinds of conversations on Fox or CNN or BBC or, or any of them. And if you do, they're very short shows and they're not given any of the mainstream nightly news type coverage. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think what's happening, I mean, your, your network, uh, you know, obviously I see a lot of it out there and, uh, I was lucky enough to be on uh, Paranoid Network's um, uh, show with Clyde Lewis uh, last week, and uh, Clyde Lewis uh, does um, it's uh, it's called uh, Zero um, uh, Round Zero. I don't know if you've heard of his program, but it's a mm-hmm. nationwide show. And then there's also Jack Blood in the United States. He's a, he's got some terrestrial based uh, um, radio networks that he goes out on as well. So there are smaller radio networks that are getting the word out, um, but unfortunately, the majority of Americans aren't listening to those networks. You know, they're listening to their televisions, and uh, their televisions mm-hmm. are indeed still. Um, yeah, so they're very they're very misinformed, and 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 they have a sort of a a, a polar effect depending on what uh, what stations they watch because. The way that the um, the political parties and the news is lined up, it's basically lined up to uh, make us um, really against each other uh, in in, mm-hmm. in a two party system, and that two party system, most people believe that that's real, and uh, they uh, they spend their lives, uh, you know, uh, disliking the other party, and uh, that's mm-hmm. that's by design. Actually, they design the uh, the political infrastructure. And, you know, that was the same thing that the lords did to um, the peasants. You know, they they give a, a, you know, basically it's a, it's also an interrogation um, methodology that they use uh, for, you know, you have the, the good guy, the good cop, bad cop uh, type methodology. So you have your, um, mm. and certainly some people like that bad cop methodology. Those, uh, those are the, uh, those, and then certainly the good cop, you know, which would really be the liberal and the conservative type of uh approaches and that's mm-hmm. and it's a and then most governments are set up that way anyway because they've been they followed the royalty methodology um in western cultures and uh, they, they, they it's like the hegelian uh, uh dialectic type of uh, um mm-hmm. uh sort of description that they that uh hegel uh, made in the 1800s yeah uh I suppose the people, uh, the powers that be in the U.S. and elsewhere would say that they're giving the people what they want, and to a certain extent, <clears throat> to a certain extent, I kind of agree with them in that sense that there's lo- a lot of people, I'd say the majority of people, in, for example, in the U.S., um, they, they're not inclined to kind of want to dig into things and, and, and find out the truth for themselves. They want the truth to be given to them by an authority, you know? I mean, because the, the fact that, for example, you and us and a lot of other people do do our own research and, and, and you know, and kind of set up or try and become a part of this alternative media. Uh, I mean, that pathway is theoretically open to just about everybody else on the planet, but so many of them don't take it because, well, there's, um, there's some kind of a difference there uh, between those two t- groups of people, you know. Um, of course, that doesn't well, justify... I think, what I think the, part of it is, part of it, if it goes against the narrative that they thought was true... They they find it they find it unbelievable, right? Hard to hard to go hard there. Yeah, hard to take. It's hard for them to take. I I I, exactly. I understand that they believe what they they believe what they've been told. 
Right. Well, Scott, you gave an example when you were working in intelligence. You said one of the things that kind of got to you was seeing something on the news and saying to yourself, well, that didn't happen. Um, so I guess, was that based on information that, that you had like personal knowledge of, like in the, from intelligence that you then saw on the news being presented in a way that wasn't true? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was, uh, and this is this is public knowledge now, but there was an absolute fact that uh, we were providing the uh, the mustard gases and different types of chemical warfare to Saddam Hussein that he was using against uh, Kurds and Iranians. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, certainly um, that wasn't the message that they were giving in the American news. Uh, and uh, and that was a war that um, we certainly used him as a proxy um, uh, um, uh mercenary to uh, destroy not only his country, but uh, Iran. I mean, both countries suffered dearly from that. It was over a mm-hmm. trillion dollars lost and uh, and over um, 500, um, I guess almost uh, five or 600,000 people lost their lives on both sides. So mm-hmm. that's a, a and, and it lasted, it was one of the longest wars at the time before the Afghan war. It lasted, I think it was eight or 10 years. So, you know, that, that that's a pretty serious event, um, you know, that the Americans initiated in that environment, but it was never portrayed that way. Uh, um, and certainly, uh, it was, I was very close to that. I understood that quite, quite, um, uh, with a lot of detail when I worked uh, at the agency and there's certainly, uh, you know, the involvement of Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan that was going on at the same time. And, uh, you know, his history wasn't portrayed very clearly when he was, um, uh, made the boogeyman uh, in the news as well. So it's a it's a very strange, you know, that the, the 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 way that the scenarios are portrayed. You know, Libya is a great example today. Uh, you know, mm. I I was at I was at a meeting uh, in um, Washington D.C. with all the heads of intelligence. It was an intelligence summit at the uh, convention center in Washington D.C. and Pretty much everybody was there, from the director of the CIA, uh, director of national intelligence, uh, um, former and current, uh, you know, homeland security and intelligence agencies uh, uh, directors were all there, and you know, some of them would get whisked out right away, but other ones would actually stick around and talk. And I had the opportunity to talk to several of them and, and say, you know, disappointed in the fact that they were, you know, not only being disingenuous in the news, but even during the conference, uh, they were. Not being uh, um, honest with the uh, the attendees, what people don't understand is in the intelligence community. Just because you work there, you know, it's very siloed. It's very compartmentalized. So people that are working on a specific project that aren't you know hungry for news and hungry for how all the pieces fit together, uh, they are just as they're not they're, just because they're working for the intelligence community doesn't make them very uh, knowledgeable about the entire. And so indeed. And so these individuals go to these meetings and, and they are even within these, these high, you know, highly high profile, very well attended meetings and conferences, uh, they're still maintaining the, um, uh, the rhetoric that is, uh, you know, incredibly um, uh, misleading. So I go and I approach the individuals that we're talking and I talk to them about it and I give them some details on who I am and they don't argue. They don't try to substantiate why they were up there and uh, mm-hmm. and misleading the crowd. And I'm uh, and I tell them I'm very disappointed. And I'm very it's it's you know this is what we've been doing. We've been supporting these uh, these uh, um, these individuals in in Syria and in Libya, 
I mean, you can look up Mahdi al-Haradi uh, in Libya. He's been working with the CIA for 20 years. He ran the forces mm-hmm. for us there. Uh, there's, a, there's a very serious amount of, uh, of uh, highly uh, incontrovertible evidence uh, of uh, what a huge hand we've played in in, uh, um, in, in creating this mess, and you know yeah. they don't go. But there's no argument. They look at me like like they've they've just been hit by a Mack truck, and and they're 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 not trying to substantiate what they just told the entire crowd. <laughs> so so it's yep. a, a, yep. you know it's it's very strange. It's very strange. It's almost as if you're talking to a zombie. Yeah yeah. You can say that again, yeah. Uh, that, that's funny you mentioned that Mario Al Harari guy. He's uh, he's the guy who lost the CIA two hundred grand uh, a couple of years ago there in uh, in Libya. He was uh, in Dublin. Didn't he, he yeah, there? he lived. He, he yeah, his wife. His, his he, wife. His wife was robbed. Uh, she had two hundred thousand right. euro in the house, and she was robbed. And when she went to the police, they said, "Well, how did you come up with five hundred euro notes and two hundred grand?" She says, oh, well, the American intelligence pays my husband to run military forces in Libya, and the next day he's catching a flight home because he's been outed. Right, so, exactly. It's just a farce at that point, you know. Yeah, he was actually yeah, on, the, uh, he was on the Mavi uh, Mamar as well. Right. Yeah, yeah. Strange bedfellows, yeah. The yeah, Turkish yeah, connection, so, I wonder. Well, no, he's been, he's been working with American and Turkish intelligence for 20 years. Uh, he's a um, you know, obviously a, an asset. And he's also, he helped uh, uh, push back some of the rebels that got out of hand, uh, or not rebels, mercenaries that got out of hand in Libya and went into Mali. We're causing trouble uh-huh. at French, uh, um, uh, French uranium. The French. Yeah, mm-hmm. so the, the French and the Americans went and uh, destroyed uh, um, the remainder of their uh, uncontrollable um, mercenaries that were um, pillaging Libya and, and spilling over into Mali. And then uh, he went. He went about his way to go into Syria, and now he's actually the mayor of uh, Tripoli. So how about that? <laughs> no, well and done, that, Mr. Harati. Yeah, career pretty fast track career path there, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, considering the fact that he was outed by his own wife. Uh, <laughs> well, she just, was, she just was. She was probably just worried she lost two hundred grand in uh, Europe. Yeah. So it didn't put a dent in his career. No. He got a, like a heck of a job, Brownie. Yeah, he, he, went right he, he went right back into the. Yeah, he went right back into the um, into. Uh, well, he was in Syria, and then he went to Mali, and then he went back to Syria, and then he went back to Libya. Yeah. He's been busy. This, he this just is paid part very of the handsomely. It is a big this is part of the farce. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, what's farcical about so much of this is that. Um, these aren't secrets. So, for example, it goes public information about to the public story about this one guy who's then held up in the same newspaper or maybe by the same in a, in a story by the same journalist not long after as a leader of rebels in Libya. It, there's no nothing secret about it in that respect. Every, right. it, it's there for everyone to know and everyone to see, and yet. Thousands of people, tens of thousands, working in Intel in some form or another, just pretend they didn't see that. How does that work? Well, like I said earlier, you know, these are individuals who have, you know, spent their entire lives, you know, on the government, uh, um, you know, payroll, and now, you know, they're bending their, you know, the, the young guys don't know any better. Uh, they're, you know, the guys in their twenties are just turning knobs. 
but uh, right. the guys in their, their 40s and 50s, uh, they're guys that understood that they turned knives and didn't know what they were doing when they were younger. And now they're like, well, you know, I'm, it's like being in a mob. I'm made, you know, I'm not going to rat on my boss and I'm just going to finish it out and get my retirement and I don't have to do this anymore, you know. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of individuals like that. And then unfortunately there's other individuals that go, you know, I don't care. You know, I, it, I'll be happy the day that every Arab is dead, you know, and or every Asian is dead, or whoever the enemy is. They've been trained to hate. Uh, they're they're very well trained drones who believe that you know, um, you know, Jesus or God or good or is that the good that they're doing is is getting rid of the evil in the world. You know, so that's uh, um, you know they've had very good training in order to have that kind of um, conviction. Mm. Um, Scott, you uh, just reading through your uh, your bio here, I mean, it describes um, that you worked for uh, with national security and intelligence service providers and signals, signals intelligence, communication security, and open source intelligence. Um, do you have any insight into, I mean, this ISIS terrorist group uh, seems to make uh, seems, to, seems to use social media and uh, you know they have their own website, they have their own publications, they, they upload videos etc etc um, well, apparently let's, with let's talk, impunity yeah, let's you talk know? about that yeah, so, well, let's talk about that so let's look at a couple of organizations um, uh, there's uh, um, uh, Rita Katz uh, she runs um, a thing called Site Intelligence Mm-hmm. And what they do is they they magically find all of these uh, incredible Al Qaeda videos and uh, and release them, you know, or videos of of the uh, Laden and release them. Let's be clear that Rita Katz was a former Israeli military intelligence. Uh, her father was uh, assassinated by Saddam Hussein. She left the country and uh, migrated uh, out of Iraq into um, Israel and started her career in uh, um, uh, combating um, what uh, um, what she would probably consider uh, an Arab culture. So she's very anti-Arab. Uh, she's very, um, uh, you know, well-connected to the intelligence community somehow. And there are a, a myriad of groups like that. There's Intel Cent- uh, Center. It's a, um, a, a protege of Donald Rumsfeld. And there are all these little offshoots. There's all these, also big ones like Ricky Strat and Stratfer and those types of ones that people are more familiar with. But there's one that actually came out in the news this week. Uh, Cloudfare uh, got a little bit of uh, um, uh, notoriety this week from Anonymous of all places uh, because of their involvement in managing uh, websites for ISIS. Well, it turns out when I went to go look at the uh, um, uh, the actual management for and founders of Cloudfare, uh, there are a bunch of former Israeli uh, intelligence guys and guys who uh, were are associated with uh, um, Israeli military intelligence and, and, uh, and Zionist ideology. And I'm like, well, what are we doing with ISIS web managers that are Israeli in uh, working in California in a startup? That seems quite mm-hmm. suspicious. So. So mm-hmm. let's be clear that uh, a lot of these Twitter accounts that are being destroyed and a lot of these uh, um, uh, websites that are uh, being identified may not be being run by who we think they are. So yeah. um, let's, uh, you know, and, and until you start looking at the 
um, uh, the actual uh, forensics of the uh, the network traffic and the individuals that are administering and adding to these websites and the communications to get those changes done, as well as the uh, um, the financing of these particular operations. Um, now that's one thing um, uh, an individual I met um, also in social networking, Scott Bennett, uh, he actually warned the French intelligence six months ago to do the right research on the financing of these uh, terrorist organizations in order to prevent them. And uh, I think it was just yesterday or the day before, uh, Putin uh, put out a committee to actually finally track down the financing of these um uh, mercenary and terrorist organizations. And I think what you'll find is there's thousands, if not tens of thousands, uh, Scott uh, Bennett said there's at least 15,000 uh, of these uh, particular um, accounts that are not coming out of the Middle East and not coming out of Arab countries. They're coming out of Western-based countries and they're coming out of uh, European uh, and uh, and other, uh, obviously, uh, Middle Eastern and uh, and and different uh, um, financial organizations that certainly shouldn't, shouldn't be involved in these. And, and I think what, what you would find out if this information was made readily available is that it would tie right back into organizations that are subverting, you know, national security in the United States and European Union and elsewhere. And they're subverting it in such a way that they may be encouraging these individuals to do what they're doing. Mm. And uh, they may be, uh, um, in, a, in a very direct or indirect way, uh, financing these individuals and providing these individuals access to the weaponry and the equipment that they need in order to accomplish these tasks, but it further emboldens the, uh, the military-industrial complex and the agenda of their political ideology. Because, like I said earlier, with dissidents like Jeremy Corbyn and others coming up within the French government and other European governments, you see um, this is one way in order for them to diffuse their success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what you're, what you're speaking to there, what you're talking about, it seems to point to some level of a kind of two-tier system or a parallel kind of a government and even, you know, security forces and intelligence agencies. Because, I mean, if, the, if on the one hand there are people who are actually effectively financing and promoting and even dispersing terrorist uh, literature under the web and stuff, and at the same time, you have people in the NSA and other intelligence agencies supposedly trying to find out where they are. I mean, maybe maybe, maybe some people like in the NSA and different uh, Western intelligence agencies need to look at the cubicle next to them to find the source of some of the ISIS uh, propaganda, you know? Well, here's here's what happens is you know you have a you have limited resources right and you have just a, a, a just a tsunami of information that people could go through, and and it's an, an objective and a pro, and people are set with projects. So you so the directors and the uh, um, the management uh, will control the resources. Obviously, every once in a while you get an individual who will buck the system and look at things and go down rabbit holes that they didn't want them to go down. Uh, and and those individuals uh, certainly won't see very many promotions if they try to make ways with the kinds of things they find. So I think what you what you have is you have I mentioned earlier in the program uh, the State Department is uh, incredibly uh, um, influenced by um, individuals 
who are, um, uh, you know, very specific in their agenda, you know, for, you know, extremely extreme pro-Israel, extreme Zionism, you know, organizations like APAC and uh, certainly within uh, England, I can't remember the name of theirs, but then the equivalent there, uh, and and also within Australia, and certainly within the Five Eyes governments, uh, there is a heavy influence of these uh, types of political ideologies. And when you look at those uh, those influences, they just don't stop at lobbying groups. They have individuals who work in the State Department, who work at those representative offices, who work within the intelligence community, who work within the um, uh, the lobbying organizations uh, that surround APAC. You know, there there's uh, literally hundreds of these organizations that are just incredibly well networked, not only within the intelligence community but also within the military, within the Pentagon, and, you know, respective governments, uh, uh, you know, throughout the Five Eyes relationships, because these are long-standing relationships that have gone on for generations because of the influence in, in within the, at least the American and the British government uh, is, uh, you know, spans over 100 years. So you're talking about a minimum of, of, of three to four generations of individuals who have developed relationships. So once you start untying and unraveling that, uh, then you can start to answer the questions uh, of, okay, okay, how deep does this go? Uh, how many people mm-hmm. are involved in this? And, and, and why is it that the, um, you know, the average guy who grows up in the middle of Kansas and uh, you know, comes into the intelligence community uh, and says, you know, whoa, I, I, I had no idea this was going on. And then he goes, well, nothing I can do. I'm just going to finish out my career. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's I mean obviously it's uh, it seems too big of a nut to crack for most people. Right, right. You can imagine, yeah. Well, Scott, on, back on this ISIS topic, it seems to me like from what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, that first of all, it should be pretty easy to be able to find out where all these websites and Twitter accounts are coming from, but that at least in the Western intelligence agencies, the resources aren't put aren't made available in order for the, the you know the people actually doing the intel work to find it out. So first of all, is that well, kind I, of a I, that that, that is probably not true. That, that if I said no. that I said that wrongly, um, I would say that there are resources to look into those uh, those types of uh, internet activities and and subpoena the type of um, you know let's say for example somebody wanted to do their job at the NSA and they did not know about Cloudflare. I mean they may have or they may not. But let's say they did not mm-hmm. know about Cloudflare. Then they could they go and they could subpoena uh, uh, Cloudflare's uh, information and say, look, we believe that you guys have been managing these networks. What the hell is going on here? Now, mm-hmm. um, the fact that they were allowed to operate if they knew they were going on uh, and there's not any kind of a honeypot uh, type of arrangement because it might have been a honeypot rearrangement with the uh, Israeli intelligence where they might, might have been with the, uh, um, when you think about, uh, go ahead and set this up and try to work with all the organizations you can, uh, or whether or not it was set up as a um, uh, as a sort of a, um, uh, a, a flypaper type environment where set this up and see if you can get any any takers, you know. So yeah. it's basically entrapping right. individuals uh, alongside mm-hmm. of right. Israeli intelligence. So Israeli intelligence could have been cooperating with the NSA to create these types of environments. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's you know, and and I'm and I'm I'm not sure which is which is it's going to be, but I'd say I don't want neither because why create, uh, you know, if if you're going to try to create terrorists, uh, that is not the objective of what my government is supposed to be set up to do. 
and uh, mm-hmm. certainly you want to minimize the uh, um, the amount of work that's uh, being uh, made to do that. Uh, I, I, the, the problem is that it's such a lucrative business that and it's so misunderstood by the um, by the political and uh, even the uh, the technical and intelligence infrastructure that it's it's a it's a free for all with stealing from the government. You know, it reminds me of when I was a child and we had the uh, um, you know the five hundred dollar hammer and the um, the two thousand dollar toilet seat. You know, so you know that's uh, these are the kinds of things that happen with government is that. You can you can sell you know ice to Eskimos and uh, um, and sand to uh, um, to Arabs you know it's just it's just not you know it's it's not a legitimate business but yet it it still gets set up and and gives it, it it's given this massive amounts of uh, importance uh, because of the incredible PowerPoint uh, um, uh, uh, presentations that these uh, numbskulls have sat through. <laughs> yeah, that uh, you mentioned the. Of that idea of entrapment of intel agencies um, falling back on that explanation whenever, whenever it, it comes out that they've been uh, associating very closely with uh, terrorists, protecting them, as has been the case on many occasions in the, in the UK in particular, in France and in, in the US. You know, when someone stumbles across that, um, the plausible narrative is that, oh, well, you know, we're protecting this known Muslim terrorist and in order to stop him or to keep it, keep an eye on what he's doing and also to see who else he's connected with so we can uh, you know, infiltrate a larger network, you know. That's a plausible narrative that they come out with all the time, and I think that works on a lot of people who work in intelligence agencies, it works on politicians and stuff. But when you look at the track record of these people, they go further than that. They don't just, uh, you know, keep an eye on these kind of people. Very often they're, they're actually facilitating them in carrying out terror attacks. But even then they say, well... We did that because we wanted to know how they carry out terror attacks or something stupid like that. You know, they just come up. It becomes increasingly ridiculous their narrative as they go on. You know. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's the wrong way to go about it. You have to be uh, one step ahead uh, rather than uh, you know leading the uh, um, leading the terrorists with carrots. Uh, you need to be uh, uh, second guessing their objectives. And so I think mm-hmm. it's the wrong it's it's the wrong tactic it's the wrong strategy, and it's uh, um you know without you know they've 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 shifted the uh, the mentality to think that they could use men, they could use technology uh, to um, uh, conduct the jobs when you know the real human intelligence and the real infiltration and the real linguistics uh, skills that are required are far more effective and they've gone away from that and there's a uh, um, there's a real uh, loss uh, in skill sets uh, that uh, that used to exist. That uh, um, you know, not everybody uses the internet, and certainly um, they've, they've they've made Snowden the scapegoat. But you know, since Snowden let this information out, you know, people are more careful. Well, the mm-hmm. smart guy was more careful to begin with, anyway. And you know, the the dumb the dumb guy is always easier to catch. And you know they've also made patsies out of individuals, and it's been it's been very clear uh, when you look at uh, the operations I mentioned earlier with Gladio and, and uh, Phoenix and Condor and such. So there's there's no doubt that there are you know uh, objectives out there that are entrapping people and making them do bad things in order to uh, um, uh, create the kind of chaos, uh, not only within uh, countries that we're at war with 
but certainly within our own countries, you know, in order to create the, um, you know, like the, um, what the Germans did with the, uh, when they uh, burned down uh, uh, the Reichstag. So, so there's, mm-hmm. there's a, there's, there's a, a serious um, uh, type of, of society, um, I guess, uh, result that they're looking for from, from the way that the society is going to react. And uh, when they get that reaction, then it opens up uh, a, a, a new strategy that they were trying to accomplish. One of the, one of the best examples I've used for that was uh, um, Abdul Muttalib, uh, who was called the underwear bomber or the Christmas mm-hmm. bomber. He, he flew the flight um, between uh, Amsterdam and Detroit and uh, had a, a very small device uh, in his underwear uh, that was never designed to actually blow up a plane. It was designed to actually fail. And the reason it was designed to fail was because they were trying to sell these body scanners to the um, to the airports and to try to set up these types of uh, security infrastructures as a business. In fact, the Department of Homeland Security was headed by Michael Chertoff, who was trying to sell mm-hmm. these uh, um, ProVision uh, scanners. Well, they were very unsuccessful until after the underwear bomber and it turns out that the underwear bomber's father was one of the largest arms dealers and richest guys in Nigeria, which, by the mm-hmm. way, there was only a couple of oil fields in Nigeria in the early 90s until Dick Cheney came in, Halliburton. And now there's about six or 700 oil fields in Nigeria. And the United States gets 2 million barrels a day, 10% of their requirements on, on their imports or their usage a day from Nigeria alone. So this is a country that had absolute um, uh, ties to American uh, uh, industry and American intelligence and American military and the highest level of individuals there uh, that we were dealing arms with. Uh, his son, uh, who was very clear with him on the phone out of, uh, out of England and out of Dubai, that he was very disappointed in what his his country had become under the uh, the Western developments there, and when he went to Yemen, it's my belief that he was not welcomed by Al Qaeda, but yet he was welcomed by individuals that we've had there for quite some time infiltrated into Al Qaeda, and they set this poor kid up and made him think that he was actually a real uh, terrorist that was really going to blow up a plane, when in fact mm-hmm. it was it was designed to fail in order to create a different objective. That's my belief, right. and I and I and I, yeah. and I there's absolutely no way that he did not know this guy was in, in Yemen. There's no way that he could have gotten out of Dubai and into Yemen and landed in that airport without a city. Yeah, indeed. And then he's met by a guy in a suit at Schiphol Airport who takes him with no ticket and no passport right. when he gets onto the plane. And he gets to every single security checkpoint. And, Sixteen and, years old. Yeah. And, and there's also a, um, uh, a gentleman, he's a lawyer, who wanted to speak on behalf of Mutala's uh, yeah. innocence, and they wouldn't allow him to testify. And he witnessed uh, um, this, uh, this individual. Um, he was of Indian descent, uh, um, and he was speaking with an American accent, and he was helping mm-hmm. Abdul Mutala through, uh, through the airport. And let's be clear here, the airport security um, uh, video footage uh, was being run by Israeli intelligence security. Uh, this is a security company that manages the uh, airport um, uh, video uh, surveillance systems at, in Schiphol. And 
this guy had to walk through the airport, and there is multiple, multiple um, uh, images of this guy in the suit uh, in Schiphol Airport, but not one time have we seen that on international news looking to manhunt mm-hmm. this guy as you know, uh, basically public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. That's what made me the most suspicious. I'm glad you reminded me of that. Yeah. Um, the, go ahead. Yeah. Um, Scott mentioned the five eyes. I think this was the term that came up via Snowden leaks. The five eyes being the U.S., Britain, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Right. Who All British colonies. British colonies, born British Commonwealth. You can see why there's connection and how networks sort of developed over time, working as one in effect. My question, though, concerns other countries. I can see how somebody gets into intelligence or any form of official position in, in the U.S. or one of these other countries in the Five Eyes and turns a blind eye or says, well, it's my career now. I don't want to write out the mob boss ahead of me. Mm-hmm. But how how does a German respond in the BND when it's clear, it's public, that the U.S. that U.S. intelligence is spying on every one every one of them, and against their own interests, sabotaging industrial interests of Germany, and then participate in hushing it up? Well, so the BND, you know, let's let's be clear here. It's you know, it's a David versus Goliath. Uh, um, uh, um, type of operation. I mean, certainly, uh, BND is very tiny compared to NSA and CIA and their budget. And the BND also has uh, a uh, um, a very close relationship uh, with American military intelligence and uh, um, intelligence within uh, Germany. A lot of the work that was being done um, uh, post World War II and certainly uh, you know throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even today. Uh, you have um, these these individuals cooperate uh, with a their their common initiative. Now, these common initiatives, I would believe, are changing now that people are becoming more uh, educated. I think what what uh, we understood in the uh, the eighties uh, versus what we understand today. You know, when you look at the uh, the types of um, activities that are becoming more clear to individuals around the color revolutions and how NATO has expanded. And the types of uh, um, initiatives the West has taken to uh, um, vilify and take down uh, Russia and Iran and other countries that aren't participatory in the uh, the financial infrastructure that's being run by the Five Eyes. Let's be clear that the Five Eyes and their, their European partners are the founders and the supporters of the 250-year-old financial system that rules the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also have ruled the high seas for 500 years, uh, um, and the only one uh, that uh, um, uh, is probably, um, you know, gotten a short end of that stick is probably Spain, uh, because of the, uh, uh, certainly the French have been alongside the British for quite some time. So I would say, you know, Spain is Spain and and, uh, and Russia um, have received the, the, I would say, the, um, the, the main focus of modern times, uh, um, I'm talking about the Spanish-American War and the, uh, the takedown of the Spanish Empire by the French, the British, and the Americans. So outside of that, you know, Russia's had been taken down at least three times uh, in the uh, in the last uh, century, 
uh, given World War One, World War Two, and certainly uh, the uh, economic uh, destruction uh, that that the West continues to attempt, but uh, was very successful uh, during the uh, the drunken Yeltsin years. So uh, mm-hmm. you know that there, there's a uh, there was a lot of pilfering uh, going on uh, in Russia. You know, a lot of Americans believe that Russia's economy failed because of the Afghan war, when in fact it was more the, uh, the, the Western uh, economic uh, um, warfare that was being conducted against Russian uh, economics as they became more "quote unquote" capitalized. And uh, that's uh, that's a. Uh, I, I look at Russia as one of the most resilient. Uh, nations that has resisted um, the uh, the alliance of the the NATO allies that also includes the Five Eyes because that's where Germany really lays. Uh, Germany lay, lies, you know, uh, at the heart of NATO, uh, and uh, um, it it is a very cooperative partner uh, in its uh, in its war crimes and its uh, um, its financial. Uh, although a lot of people are tired uh, in Germany of supporting the European uh, Union because they're one of the few economic powerhouses of the European Union, but uh, but the uh, the government is very loyal uh, based upon the um, the individuals that have been put in place in those uh, those positions of power uh, to rule over the um, the German people. So when it comes to the intelligence community and the BND. The BND is is uh, is at the mercy of the uh, of the you know, political infrastructure that controls that nation. Do you think there's an aspect of blackmail? I mean, was that in your experience or anything you've you know seen or heard uh, from the U.S. side that uh, in terms of signals, intelligence, or communications intelligence, uh, sure. is blackmail Everybody's... part of manipulating foreign governments? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not just foreign governments, individuals, and, you know, getting people to do things. If somebody who has something to hide and they're doing something that, you know, they probably shouldn't be doing, let's say, uh, molesting children. And unfortunately, that's uh, that probably uh, the worst case scenario. But there's also, mm. uh, um, you know, uh, taking money on the side, uh, being right. a, a corrupt politician. Mm. You know, obviously, you'd rather be more cooperative than uh and being incarcerated. So, you know, when mm. you have an individual who is, um, uh, you know, uh, potentially uh, going to, you know, be in big trouble for something that they might have done, uh, and, right. or you may be able to entice them and say, look, uh, I've got a way that we could make, uh, you know, uh, half a million dollars for you if, you, uh, if you're interested. And then once they're interested, they said, oh, and by the way, um, I also need you to do this. And now they're like, "Oh crap! You've already pulled me into this uh, this this illegal scenario, and now you're asking me to do something that might jeopardize the the, the sovereignty of my nation, or or the uh, um, now you're asking me to spy on my own people." Mm-hmm. She's like, "Now you've already got me. You already got me because you, you you've got dirt on me now." So you know, right. and and it it could even be unspoken. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, drug abuse is is one of them. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. people are very loyal to their, um, to their, uh, their drug, uh, um, uh, I guess, community friends. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll tell you a funny story about Noriega. Uh, one of my uh, uh, friends um, was uh, uh, stationed in Panama uh, at the time of Noriega, and uh, he was a colonel in the uh, Air Force. Uh, he was. Um, stationed in uh, Zaragoza, Spain, after he was in um, 
in Panama, and he um, he got a, a phone call from Noriega and says, "I need you to come here right now." You know, so hey, I'm I'm in the Air Force. I can't just like jump on a plane. I I got to take leave. I got to do this. I, he says, "No, no, I'm contacting the Pentagon. I need you to come right away." So he gets there. He flies in. He flies into uh, um, the uh, um, the air base there and. The Americans had taken over a, um, a very large, um, uh, nice hotel uh, near the runway because the, the base just kept expanding. And Noriega uh, was in the hotel uh, with about 50 uh, um, uh, prostitutes and, and uh, alcohol and drugs. And, and he goes, he goes, well, what did you need me here for? And he goes, I just wanted to party with you. Hadn't seen you in a while. <laughs> and, you know, so oh, that's God. the relationship. Yeah, that's the relationship that you have. And Noriega was a great money launderer and drug dealer, you know, alongside the CIA and the American uh, you know, infrastructure coming out of uh, coming out of uh, Peru, Bolivia, and, uh, and Colombia. When the, um, when the, you know, there was, there was, you know, millions of dollars being made every day. Uh, in the cocaine trade, you know, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about, uh, you know, 150 to 200 million dollars a day in profits. So, mm. you know, that's that's a huge um, uh, business, and the the, uh, the covert operations that were that that was funding, you know, that was part of the whole Iran Contra thing, and that was, uh, you know, when you're looking at that amount of financing, you don't have to go to Congress and ask for any money, and you certainly don't have to explain anything. To anybody, because it's uh, it's all being you know hidden in you know very uh, you know lucrative uh, operations within the intelligence community and the in uh, the drug cartels, and they're they're mm-hmm. working alongside each other, and you know there's there's friendships, there's relationships, and once you know, you've you know jumped in you know feet first, you know at that point you're willing to do other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it it seems. I mean, that's why I asked that question with blackmail because um, it it's seems not even blackmail. It, 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 you know, they, they they don't even have to blackmail, and they know. They're like, well, geez, you already know I've, I've done a bunch of cocaine, and I, I've done a bunch of right. hookers. What what else won't I do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. But in terms of controlling European individuals, politicians, Angela Merkel, for example, I mean, you know, Snowden revealed this uh, kind of. Um, Global, these global surveillance programs run by the NSA, Five Eyes, and uh, you know the British GCHQ, etc., and in cooperation with telecommunication companies. Uh, so, I mean, it seems like they would be stupid not to, you know, target, use that um, ability to to dig up as much dirt as they possibly can on people in, in positions of influence and power in European countries in order to control them. You know. Um, well, they do. I, but, no, I'll give you that. I, I think. I think what it really comes down to is, as well, is that they also can analyze who their, um, you know, where to lay their loyalties. I think that that's probably a better, um, uh, right. a better scenario. They they can figure out from analyzing the communications who would be a better person to approach in order right. to get what they want. And I think that that's probably more valuable than what you're talking about uh-huh. with blackmail. Right, yeah. A psychological profile almost on people you can get from. Exactly. Yeah. I'll, give you, I'll give you a really good real-world example. Uh, in 2004, um, right before the Summer Olympics in, uh, um, in uh, um, Athens, 
my uh, uh, my friend was uh, uh, the chief of station for the CIA there, and um, uh, the Americans, uh, alongside the British, uh, had installed a surveillance device uh, on uh, the cell phone networks uh, through um, uh, Vodafone, and mm-hmm. it's a British uh, network that had sold the contract to the British or to the Greek military and the Greek government. So all the major dignitaries and uh, military uh, um, officials were using Vodafone phones. And it turned out that uh, all the phones that were being tapped were being tapped uh, in the, uh, um, uh, the central office that the Vodafone infrastructure was set up for to, you know, basically handle all the, um, uh, the records and, and communications for that, uh, that particular contract. So and they they realized it, and I think it was in 2007. I think they found the system sitting there; it was still running, and uh, yeah. they realized that uh, you know all these phones had been basically being monitored and tracked in Greece, and certainly the Greeks were livid. Uh, and uh, but unfortunately, they're major recipients of American military aid, and you know Germany right. is very similar to that. Uh, Germany makes a boatload of money because of all the American military um, operations. And I have friends that live in three thousand, you know, dollar homes, you know, five, ten bedroom homes. Or excuse me, uh, uh, you know, five bedroom homes, and you know, would be considered palaces. And for anybody else in in Europe, you know, uh, probably around uh, you know a thousand square meters. And mm-hmm. and these individuals, you know, are, you know, single men, you know, without even families. And the American government is paying for that. And there's some uh, German guys sitting there collecting, you know, a month's rent on a place where he could probably only get 2,000, you know, euro if the Americans weren't there or less. Uh, if the Americans weren't there, um, basically, um, you know, pouring money into the German economy. So, you know, that's, that's also a... Uh, um, a, a factor that's uh, considered by the uh, the host nation, and they, um, they they certainly don't like it that the Americans are up, uh, you know, looking up their uh, um, uh, their their information like they are. But, uh, but at the same time, they're they're willing to um, uh, you know basically take it in order to uh, get the uh, the benefits. Well, Scott, do you think or do you see any changing of allegiances going on recently or anything hinting towards that? I'm thinking specifically in reference to just what's gone, what's been going on these past couple of months with uh, with Russia and um, specifically in Syria. Do you see anything changing? Well, I see a lot more people coming out and, uh, you know, high level individuals coming out and saying, hey, we did play a big hand in this and uh, we did create this. And so there are, um, it's, you know, I've been saying it since, uh, Jesus, two, 2000, the end of 2011, the beginning of 2012. And, uh, certainly, well, when I got showcased on CNN, when I talked about what, uh, the Americans and their allies had did in, uh, Ukraine, uh, I, I feel a bit exonerated by the news that's come out since then, because that was almost, geez, that was over, what was that 2013 uh, March uh, that mm-hmm. the Maidan Square was going on? So that was over two years yeah. ago. 
And, but, you know, over the last two and a half years, uh, you know, there's been a lot of individuals who have done similar research that what I've done, what I did at the time that have, you know, sort of substantiated it. And I think that's the same thing that I've seen, you know, since we were always talking about the, uh, you know, the, 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 the bombs running coming out of Qatar through Benghazi into uh, Turkey and into uh, Syria, you know, there were some, a few news reports that came out in New York Times and other major uh, networks, or uh, not networks, but uh, um, publications. But yet that that elephant in the room of uh, that particular information and how important that is uh, never seems to make it in the narrative of, uh, you know, when they start talking about refugee crisis and so on and so forth. So to see a major player uh, like Putin, you know, helping to put the pieces together, you know, rather than, you know, a, you know, a, you know, some small network, you know, I won't, I, I'm sorry, network's probably not small, but, you know, smaller networks like Stormfront Gathering or SOT or, or uh, different uh, um, ground zeros and these kinds of networks that do talk about these things, you're seeing uh, the, the escalation back into uh, major um, news publications that are carrying uh, Putin's story and not calling it, you know, uh, propaganda and actually, uh, but unfortunately, as, as I go to massive, you know, meetings for think tanks in Washington, D.C., and as soon as anybody realizes that there's anything to do with TV or Russian television or what Putin says, the, uh, they automatically, you know, hit, you know, hit the nail and say propaganda. You know, because that's what mm-hmm. they're, they're, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like training a, training a, tri- a chicken to say, if you hit, you know, button A, you're going to get, you're going to get a nugget of corn. So that's they're mm-hmm. very, you know, for every, you know, they're, they're so, so, so well trained, you know, every time they see a nail, they got to hit it with a hammer. Yeah. Well, their favorite comeback for us is, oh, Russian troll factory. Yeah. They do the same thing to, uh, um, uh, the folks out of Canada, uh, the um, there's a really nice uh, research center out of Canada. It's uh, global, global uh, research. Global research. I like a lot of those writers as well. Yeah, you get that a lot. I mean, and 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 I've been accused of that as well. In fact, the guy that interviewed me from K2 Intelligence yesterday thought the same thing until he talked to me. And he goes, "Oh my God, it's <laughs> a lot more complex than I thought." But he's a 24 year old mm-hmm. kid who's working at an intelligence community. That was founded by two Jewish, uh, uh, you know, uh, left-wing, uh, softcore pro-Israel Zionist kids. The, the, the you know, the Krolls, uh, Jewel and Jeremy Kroll. Um, mm. They they worked out in New York when they created this little intelligence, uh, you know, once again an unnecessary intelligence collection uh, organization that's influencing uh, uh, Western intelligence, where whereby it's more or less pushing the uh, the pro-Israel APAC Zionist agenda. But yet, you know, you it's, it's heavily... What's that? So you were interviewed by those guys, did you say? I, I was interviewed by one of the uh, um, one of their employees before he got hired, wrote an article about me last year. Right. Uh, and okay. try, had tried to get in, in touch with me. And I ended up... Uh, I saw the article, I don't know, two months ago, and I got in contact with him. And I said, hey, I'd be happy to talk to you. I said, uh, you know, I'm interested into, you know, interested in why, you know, what, what, what perspective gave you that. But, you know, he's just a college graduate and in his uh, um, early to mid-20s. And 
so he doesn't really have a whole lot of frame of reference and and he certainly you know, he's a he's a young Jewish boy grew up in New York City. I told him a little bit about New York politics that he didn't know and he was he was shocked. I think he was like, "Holy crap, there's a there's a whole lot of stuff out there I don't know about." So, mm-hmm. you know, and but but the thing is is that I I told him about this um uh this this documentary uh that you know, I highly recommend, you know, push as much as you can on your networks because it's very good. It's um it's called The Lottery of Birth. Uh, it's a uh, it's a philosophical um, documentary about why societies become so brainwashed. Basically, it, it, it doesn't actually the premise doesn't come out like that. The premise is more along the lines of, you know, we are a very well trained uh, society within our respective nation, you know, for a deliberate reason. They want obedience and they want loyalty. It's very difficult to uh, uh, rule a country of individuals who are. Um, obviously um not obedient and loyal so and and it's uh it goes into excruciating detail about you know how the societies are formed and manipulated um you know by their respective um educations and news agencies so it, it it's quite good um and and i think that you know the more people understand that the more that it will be less shocking for them to realize that they've you know been misled you know sometimes for a lifetime. Now, Scott, I just wanted to ask you something about uh, Edward Snowden. Yeah. Um, is he... Uh, do we know everything there is to know about Edward Snowden? I don't think so. I, I think I think that Edward Snowden, because of his ties to uh, Glenn Greenwald uh, and, and the success that Glenn Greenwald has, you know, don't get me wrong, uh, nine times out of ten I agree with Glenn Greenwald, uh, but there's that that ten percent where he's a he's kind of a soft core Zionist, uh, kind of like Peter Bernhardt, um, mm. where where he has a uh, an objective. Uh, he's um, and 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 because um, uh, Snowden has this um, sort of uh, uh, almost like a uh, a get out of jail free card. You know, who goes to Hong Kong and can sneak out? of Hong Kong on his own passport, by the way, which, by the way, this is, this is a country that was, you know, heavily infiltrated by CIA and British intelligence for, yeah, right. you know, uh, you know, decades and, uh, certainly very cooperative, uh, with the, um, and, and the Chinese, uh, you know, it, it, it just found it very odd that he could get on a plane, uh, leaving, uh, um, Hong Kong. The other thing I found very odd is that, um, He's um, the way that he sort of uh, trickles down the uh, the intelligence. Um, it's a very lucrative uh, business uh, to do that. And and if you look at the investment that was made by um, I can't remember the guy, the eBay founder guys uh, into Glenn Greenwald's network, uh, the Intercept. Right. He, he made a yeah, hundred million dollars. Yeah. yeah. Pierre's a um, uh, Omidyar. Pierre, thank you. Pierre. Uh, Omidyar. Yeah, he was also an invest. He was a he's a Tufts University graduate. He's a big investor in that university, and that university is um, at the at sort of the center of American uh, uh, sort of geopolitical influence. Uh, if you look at the founders of Tufts University, uh, these that's the Jebson family. Uh, the Jebson family were uh, shippers for the East India Trading Company out of Sweden, and uh, those. 
those ties go back, you know, the British and the Swedes have been allies for 500 years. And Tufts University is probably uh, the number one diplomatic training corps. In fact, the current dean of schools for the Fletcher School of Law, which is probably, if you're a Fletcher School of Law grad in the Tufts University uh, um, sort of master's doctorate program, and you have uh, that type of, uh, of credentials, you have a very good possibility of, you know, getting a very good job in the, uh, the U.S. State Department intelligence community and so on. And mm. the, um, uh, the the head, the dean of the Fletcher School of Law is none other than James Stavridis, uh, who was uh, the supreme allied commander of NATO for quite some time. And the uh, um, the the mastermind alongside Hillary Clinton and uh, other uh, knuckleheads in the U.S. Uh, military and and uh, uh, around destruction of Libya and the uh, the invasion mm-hmm. and destruction of Libya. So that's uh, um, you know that's the kind of individuals that are training our next generation of uh, diplomats. So I, and and Pio Midiar is tied into Tufts University and he's. He's coddled uh, um, Greenwald, and he's, you know, they're carrying uh, Snowden stuff. And, you know, it just seems it's, you know, it just smells a little fishy to me. And it doesn't doesn't seem like the right people are involved in that. And I almost feel like, you know, um, I I don't know if you know the story behind Lee Harvey Oswald, but it reminds Uh me of that story. Here's a guy who was a Russian linguist in the Marine Corps. He uh, understood the, the U2 downlink second collection platform. He had a security clearance, and he defected to Russia through Finland, which would, nobody in their right mind knew how to do that back in those days. And then while he's there, uh, six months later, they shoot down the U2, and Gary Powers uh, is taken custody by the, um, uh, the uh, um, Russian government, and then he's released. And then... Uh, you know, after having a baby and getting married in Russia, here comes, uh, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald back to the United States, put in Fort Leavenworth. You know, he's not incarcerated for, for defecting as a, uh, a military guy or a guy with a, a, uh, um, a, a security clearance. And he's allowed to roam freely and and uh, pass out uh, information that's, uh, you know, pro-Castro. As, you know, it's kind of looking at, like, flypaper to try to attract the pro-Castro people in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It's all very fishy as well. So, you know, yeah. it it's it didn't make sense that, you know, they're allowing this this guy to survive and do what he's doing, you know, in Russia. And and, and if he comes home a hero's welcome, uh, I'll I'll be even more uh, suspicious of him. You know, he obviously if you see something wrong and you want to combat it, you know, certainly do that. But I almost believe as though he's, you know, more or less he may not know he's doing it. Um he may think he's doing the right thing just like uh, Oswald did. Uh, at, but at the same time, I don't think that he's uh, revealing anything that's that, uh, incon- uh, you know, that it just doesn't, the information he's revealing is not that great. You know, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's, it's stuff that everybody, everybody should have known. It's also, we've also thought in the past uh, and commented that it kind of, uh, from the point of view of a national security state or a, a global security, uh, you know, regime basically uh, putting that information out there that Snowden puts out um, has the effect of making people kind of feel watched all the time and increases the kind of. Uh, I suppose it, it, it would it could possibly lend to people 
tending to want to keep their heads down, not rock the boat in case you're going to be spotted, you know? Sure, sure. Well, there's that, there's that aspect, and there's also the aspect that it bolsters the um, uh, uh, the rhetoric around why we need to spend so much money on these um, these initiatives. Even Snowden, you know, he's a he's a um, an ardent supporter of the war on terror, and he's also a uh, an ardent supporter of the technology infrastructure to combat cyber mm-hmm. warfare. So let's let's be clear here. He's he's in my opinion, he's part of the problem. Uh, he's not part of the solution. So yeah, I think there's a lot more to Snowden we don't know about. Yeah. Well, Scott, on that subject, what are what are your thoughts on? Um, let's just say, like, surveillance technology and the things that are going on, what works, what doesn't, and, uh, you know, what should be done and what shouldn't be done? Well, like I said earlier, um, you know, the human intelligence uh, factor has been forgotten and is, is far more um, effective. And certainly we can, we can gather more information on more people um, uh, at an alarming rate uh, that has never been seen in the history of the planet. Uh, you know, uh, J. Edgar Hoover's, uh, uh, you know, dancing in his grave going, wow, I wish I had all that. Uh, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's, yeah, but uh, there's, you know, it, it comes to a point where, you know, I will agree with what Snowden said, where he says, you know, there's just so much information, people don't know where to look. Uh, and, and that's absolutely true. Uh, but at the same time, it also gives people um, access to information that they shouldn't really have. Um, there's, you know, no sense of privacy. So um, Hmm. and that's and that's something that, uh, you know, violates, uh, uh, you know, American uh, civil rights and human rights uh, globally, uh, whereby, you know, obviously, you know, people have accepted the terminology. Well, if you're not doing anything wrong, what do you have to hide? Well, that's not uh, that's not the ideology that um, that they uh, that they, they the founding fathers set up in the United States. And it's certainly not the kind of uh, society that um, that I expected to, uh, you know, end up in. Um, so I would say uh, it could go worse, by far worse than what we ever could have imagined, because of the tremendous amount of capability that technology has. Uh, it is, you know, I mean, every single phone call, every single um, uh, financial transaction, every single. Um, uh, can be easily be recorded, uh, and certainly um, when it comes to uh, information analysis and uh, um, and that kind of uh, um, you know sort of even uh, dialogue uh, analysis, they could you know, the kinds of reports that are coming out of some of these systems that they've built are just got to be just tremendous. I, I haven't seen it, but I, I understand what they're doing. Um, uh, companies like uh, um, uh, Visible Technologies. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they are a, mm-hmm. uh, a CIA. They're a CIA um, uh, um, uh, investment in surveillance on social networking platforms. And certainly, uh, what I've found uh, in my experiences is that social networking platforms provide a tremendous. Um, uh, environment to not only share information, but also to uh, share perspective about that information. So that's a, um, you know, you could easily use that information to um, categorize, um, you know, uh, individuals or groups within societies. And and certainly the the information that, that I share does that. 
Uh, and I, tr- I actually encourage that with other people, um, not because I'm trying to increase the effectiveness of their systems, but I'm certainly trying to increase the effectiveness of our, our ability to communicate. At the same time, uh, those systems are also being designed to pigeonhole us, to um, uh, uh, basically minimize our ability to grow our networks. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed on your social networks, but things where I used to get you know hundreds if not thousands of hits on, you know, I'm getting, you know, teens and hundreds on now because mm-hmm. of the uh, the implementation of uh, of algorithms that minimize our the breadth of our communications. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. Specifically, edge rank uh, in in Facebook, and, and and then they offer an opportunity where we could spend money uh, doing sponsored mm-hmm. links uh, in order to increase the effectiveness. But right now. If you're not spending that money, you're you're a victim of the uh, the constriction that's put on the uh, um, on the communications, and then you have to you know change the way that you use the platform in order to continue or to um, uh, uh, improve the effectiveness of of our communications on that particular platform. Yeah, Scott, we have a um, I hear you on the Facebook thing. We have. A a caller, Steve from uh, Tampa Bay. Hi, Steve. Hi, how are you doing? And um, a, a, a hello to uh, Scott. And uh, definitely a very much an admirer of your uh, work, Scott. Oh, thank you. Yes, and, um, you know, I've been um, I- I've been doing some deep research into this uh, situation having to do with Syria, and because of my work, being immersed in my work, and I, I became a whistleblower full of years ago, and I'm I'm one of the uh, I'm one of the people that that did not get I, I became I got totally shut down here in Florida um, for exposing a, a gigantic ecological crime that took place in Osceola County, where I I I, I exposed the county actually helping a guy rape swamp. Um, fill in submerged, sovereign submerged land, swamp land, for development. And I uncovered a pattern of this going on in Osceola County for decades. And um, I went before the Orange County um, Environmental Protection. I called a meeting, and I declared myself a whistleblower, and I exposed this. I went to the Orlando Sentinel. I went to uh, Sierra Club, Audubon Society. No, absolutely nobody would help me. And uh, looking back on it, um, I was extremely naive to expect anything different, but I became so disgusted being a real advocate um, and developing my career around protecting the environment damage that we've done that um, I just got so disgusted that I I had to do something. But anyway, enough with that. I wanted to touch on this um, Glenn Greenwald, which I think as I did my – investigations into this Syria propaganda, I just became amazed on how the uh, the left wing, the progressive left, have been hugely, the, the luminaries among them, have been hugely responsible for, de- for um, sowing confusion among the anti-war ranks to where um, there's no mobilization against this jackal attack with uh, funneling terrorist mercenaries into Syria to destroy the uh, government, and uh, we have what we have today. And um, anyway, I went on Greenwald's website, The Intercept, 
which, by the way, Pierre Omidyar is a friend of Obama. He also yeah. funneled money into uh, Kiev uh, pre-Maidan. He, he funneled right. millions of dollars. So then next thing you know, here's Greenwald. He's got the intercept. So I started researching what kind of coverage have they done on Ukraine. And um, it's been very spotty. Uh, Greenwald's done a couple of articles that were decent. It's been very spotty. Um, they also featured another propagandist for the Voice of America by the name of Masha Gethin, who's a uh, who's an abric- outright fabricator of disinformation about what's Absolutely. going on. And yeah, so they featured her on there. So anyway, about Syria, I called Greenwald out on his website. Um, in the context of a comment section, and it had to do with BBC um, softballing the Saudis getting weapons from the U.K. government. But in there, in his essay on that article, Greenwald actually says, he, 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 he says, oh, I'm not, I'm not, he, he basically says that I'm not for or against, you know, their, the support of these mercenaries of the Syrian um, rebels, right? So he's, he's not calling out the jackal mercenary terrorism on the part of the United States. He confuses it, go, hey, I'm not, I'm not making a moral judgment whether it's good or bad. I mean, what the heck? So I call him out in the comment section, and he, I did not cuss him, nothing like that. But I also asked him in the comment section, can you explain? Can you please explain why Jeremy Scahill went out of his way to stop Mother Agnes from Syria from, from presenting information that called into question the meme that that um, Assad and his government used chemical weapons on the Syrian people? And anyway, long story short, he basically banned me from commenting any further. I cannot comment on the intercept. But I, I find it very puzzling, this individual called Jeremy Scahill, who goes on to Bill Maher, he goes on to MSNBC, he just did an expose in The Intercept about the drone program that was supposedly um, developed this article from some whistleblower with inside the agency. In my view, and I believe that you know Jeremy Scahill has not made any kind of contributions to discussion, um, you know, you know, elaborating on what he thinks is going on in Syria. He's been very silent about it. And um, I see that I'm very, I think it's very weird. Why did Jeremy Scahill become so driven to stop Mother Fina, to stop the war um, coalition meeting in London at this crucial juncture? Mm-hmm. And uh, we never got any answers from that. I was shut down. But I'm doing an I'm doing an article right now where I question that um, I do not like uh, Glenn Greenwald, and as far as Snowden is concerned, uh, boiling and, on boiling frogs, there's a couple individuals they have there as commenter, commentators that um, get into what they think is going on with Snowden. Um, I think the whole thing's really weird. Um, I'm not saying that he's a bad guy or what, but, you know, the other thing is when people come out and they present themselves as these heroes, well, you know what, Brother Snowden, man, I want to know what you think about what's going on in Syria. I mean, I want to know what your opinions are on this. I mean, you don't have an opinion, you know? What's your take on that, Scott? 
Yeah, well, see, I, I totally like, agree I with the caller. Steve, Steve makes some great points. I mean, he's he's the point that he's making is that they they cherry pick the, uh, the 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 situations that they're willing to report on, and and there's absolute truth to that. It's uh, um, there's a lot of uh, blind uh, um, sort of coverage of the uh, scenarios that Steve paint, uh, painted out there, and it and it and it certainly uh, you know stinks. It's not it's not the kind of uh, you know uh, legitimate coverage that you would expect out of uh, um, some of the uh, um, other uh, scenarios. What what Greenwald does very well at the progressive liberal uh, perspective is he fights against the uh, uh, the conservative uh, uh, sort of right wing injustice that's that's uh, being caused not only in the United States but in Israel and elsewhere. And it certainly does a good job at that. Uh, but at the same time, he uh, he is a, a, a huge flag waver and a huge uh, um, uh, um, a supporter of the uh, of the Obama style infrastructure, uh, certainly through his relationships and his lack of uh, criticism of what's being done uh, in the American name uh, under that administration, as well as the uh, um, uh, the other individuals you know who uh, support that individuals like Hillary Clinton and so on and so forth. So so certainly the caller is absolutely correct in uh, in identifying some of the the clear um, uh, bias and uh, and weaknesses of uh, of those reporters and that uh, that particular publication. Hey, and I'd like to say one other thing, Scott. Um, you know, as I've been doing research for this article, I found this uh, I found this organization, and I forget it's called Pulse Media, and I think it's PulseMedia.org. And one of the individuals he was interviewed by David Bersamion. And in the interview, you know, you can find it on a podcast, but this guy just, like, just unloads just tremendous accusations, you know, about the culpability about chemical weapons and Assad. And David Barsamian, who's a friend of Chomsky, never, like, contradicted him, queried him further. He just let this guy spew out this disinformation, which, right. um, you know, it's just really creepy when it comes from the uh, – I used to be a big fan of Chomsky – until I found out what position he took when it came to Syria, which I thought was very uncritically thinking, you know, very much a dupe's, a dupe's perspective on it. But um, I would also just like, as a last comment before I hang up, um, so as I tried to research this Pulse Media, you know, what I used to do when I did a Google search, you could find some people like that would come out in some critical perspective, like, yeah, Pulse Media – they're doing propaganda, blah, blah, blah. So, but I go after page after page, down to 10, 12 page, with all no, nothing counter to Pulse Media. So, like, you keep going on and on. You cannot find any kind of, like, critical scrutiny of Pulse Media on your Google search, right? And I'm, I'm finding that, like, really weird, and it's not just the Pulse Media. It's, like, a lot of different sketchy individuals that come out with disinformation having to do with Syria that when I Google search, I go page after page, and you, and you don't – you find nary a critique of these personalities or what they have to say. And I just think that – I believe that the algorithms, especially having to do with Syria, are being manipulated to make it harder to find um, – scrutiny um, and critique of these uh, individuals and organizations, you know? So anyway, that's my last yeah, comment. I, I, I don't disagree. I think what, what we, what we see here is, um, you know, once again, uh, when you, you take um, the different types of ratings 
for documents and for search results. And, you know, Reddit is a good example of the way that it's, you know, it's considered a uh, quote unquote, um, uh, a social um, uh, news network when in fact, uh, you know, certainly anybody with uh, a very simple computer skills can decide, you know, what, uh, what particular documents that they want to help rise to the top, you know, given their, uh, um, uh, you know, they're, they're basically liking and, and making it, giving it more likes than the next thing. So I, I think what, what, you know, what uh, Steve's referring to is that a lot of this uh, um, uh, information that we're able to even get on the Internet today uh, is, is highly subjected to um, mm-hmm. a, uh, um, a, a type of filtering uh, that is, uh, um, you know, it gives the impression that, that something is more acceptable than others. And, uh, and certainly, the, uh, um, uh, much like the mainstream media, uh, the dissident voice or the uh, um, potential voice of reason, I won't say that dissident voices are always voice of reason, uh, but the, the, the potential voice of reason may not be given the same limelight and may also be getting incredibly filtered. Uh, it's certainly very easy to do. Uh, and uh, and it's certainly not uh, um, something that I would um, uh, put past uh, the the powers that be that understand that controlling the narrative is far more important uh, than uh, uh, than actually uh, uh, any other uh, component. I, I think one of the proof in the pudding of controlling the narrative is if you look at the history of uh, controlling the narrative and you look at the how. The narrative has been controlled not only for centuries, but also more and more modern times with uh, individuals like Edward Bernays and what he was able to uh, um, uh, sort of accomplish mm-hmm. uh, with his methodologies uh, um, in earlier uh, uh, mass media environments, you know, prior to radio and certainly with the advent of radio and television. Uh, that methodology uh, has been highly effective on using media to control societies. And that was the premise of his, uh, um, his uh, 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 publishing, or not publishing, but uh, um, uh, uh, public relations firm in New York City in the early 1900s. And certainly the premise of his book, uh, Propaganda, I think that came out in 1916. So, and that book, uh, 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 unfortunately, was adopted by Joseph Stalin, Joseph Goebbels, and others. Uh, to uh, control their societies and, and create uh, um, just havoc uh, within the uh, um, uh, the mental um, uh, um, direction of the people of those societies. And, and certainly our societies uh, uh, in France, the United States, and elsewhere are subjected to the same type of manipulation. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, right, and, uh, I'm, I'm going to let you guys go, but did you get the link to the YouTube video about the Hitler, about the Hitler, uh, you know, they, they took a, a scene out of a movie of Hitler, and he's in the right. bunker the last days, and they, uh, it's in German, right, but they dub it with, like, Hitler's just like, damn it, that Putin! <laughs> right, yeah, 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 that's yeah, funny, that's those, yeah. yeah, they use that scene quite a bit. Video meme. Yeah, there's a I new one, it. basically, where Hitler reacts to Putin, Putin, what Putin's doing, yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, Steve, thanks yeah. a million for your hey, call. Hey, God bless y'all. Hey, take care, Scott. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you, Steve. All right, bye. Uh, we'll go uh, straight. We have on our call here as Gene from uh, Gene from Oklahoma. Are you there, Gene? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, hi, gentlemen. I it's been very interesting uh, 
uh, listening to um, the uh, back and forth and the give and take on what all is being suggested. I mean, you you've covered such a huge area, and it's it's but uh, it, it needs to be covered. And uh, for one, I was um, you might say awakened or enlightened to uh, the. Uh, the entire, of course, I had felt for a long time that Nixon's uh, so-called war on drugs was as big a tragedy, if not as as big a farce, as the uh, prohibition um, war against alcohol and so forth. And uh, and uh, now we've had to put up with 40 plus years of that fraud, and um, uh, and the only ones that are coming out on top, I mean, you can ask any given drug dealer on any given street corner who his biggest competition is, and they'll tell you Uncle Sam. And uh, mm. uh, and it's interesting to hear Scott Rickard only confirm that. I mean, if, if the ordinary uh, soldier or uh, uh, along the drug chain knows that his biggest competitor and really uh, 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 biggest uh, – Oh, how a threat on the streets of any uh, given uh, metro area is going to be the cocaine importation agency, CIA. Um, if that doesn't give pause to the average American, I don't know what does. But the bottom line is this: we, we've known there's, there's not just a, a hill of evidence; there is a mountain of evidence on this. And the bottom line is, the average American doesn't care. As long as he has his uh, bread and circuses and Roman gladiator coliseums, whatever you want to call them, uh, he doesn't care. And, and, and it just goes on and on and on. And, um, I, I mean, no matter how much revelation is made, but uh, we've got to continue to put up with this uh, Bush-Clinton CIA uh, drug cartel, uh, probably the, the largest drug cartel in the world that we know that really when you get down to it as of not to – billions anymore, but really trillions of dollars in this drug trafficking around the world. And uh, we, we know what a product is when we see Marines guarding the uh, poppy fields in Afghanistan. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't right. tell you something, what a fraud this is, it, it's, it's pathetic. And, and gentlemen, I, I know I've covered a huge area here. I'll just end it on this note, and I'd like to hear your comments on this. As I've read... Henry Force, the International Jew, and then the Talmud, and and even the the Torah. I think even gives evidence to this. Um, I, I I don't think it's just the New World Order. I, I think it is definitely the Jew World Order. Uh, after uh, reading these basic public, uh, uh, you know, pieces of information, the Torah, which talks about I, I shall. I shall make you uh, rulers uh, of the nations of the world to the Jews, uh, including all the way down to Abraham. And then you read the International Jew by Ford, and then the um, the uh, help me out here, guys. The uh, the uh, oh 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 the the learned elders, uh, the protocols and learned elders. Right, the protocols, yeah. Thank you. And then on top of that, to which gives finality to it, the Talmud. If that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what does. But to me, it's it's very clear. It's that's not a new world order. It's a Jew world order. And, um, well, and when you look I, at I the machinations, say, you know, the let's, I'm sorry, yeah, let's, I hate I hate to vilify any particular group because I think what it, it, it like I said earlier, it's relationships of lords and royalty mm-hmm. that go back you know for centuries. 
And sure. certainly not every not every one of them are uh, are, are Jewish. That's absolutely true. And uh, and at the same time, you also have you know some that are Jewish, some that are Christian, some that are Muslims even. Uh, and so mm-hmm. there's a there's a very symbiotic relationship between how they scratch each other's backs. And it's certainly oh, not a new world. Certainly involved. not a new world order. Certainly not a new I world think- order at all. I would call it more of an old world order that uh, has been right. in order for quite some time. But, you yeah. know, guys, Gene, look, Gene, no, Gene, go ahead. I'm sorry. To, I was going to say what you need to maybe remember is that the people, kind of the power brokers in this world at the kind of top level, they don't really subscribe to any particular religion. They realize religion exactly. is kind of like the opium of the masses, you know, and they, that's for people to believe in and to, to argue over and fight over, you know. They themselves are into just for social engineering and control, controlling the, the, the most valuable resource on this planet, which is human resources, i.e. human beings, and controlling what they think, controlling how they act, and controlling them on this planet. And they've done it for a long time, and they'll use any ideology that works, you know. I mean... Mm-hmm. Uh, at that level, ideology doesn't really matter anymore, other than the ideology of absolute power and control over people on this planet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, no, gentlemen, totally I, I, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no I was going to say we can go round and round and play this game of uh, uh, good cop, bad cop, and when the bottom line is all they want is your conviction. And the same thing boils down to good Jew, bad Jew. When the only thing they're loyal to is their tribe. And when you know that their tribe is nothing but nothing more than a political and religious mafia, and they hate the Gentiles and the Goyim, uh, no one who is a Jew, uh, anyone who is a Gentile, they're against them. They're never going to go against their tribe. They've made that very clear. From the highest to the lowest Jew, and you know that so, gentlemen. I've met yeah. my fair share, right. and they we will never go against their tribe. Well, I don't. I don't right. know. Gene, I, we're going to let I've you go. Met, I've met many, oh, I've met many, of, many of an individual that would break that uh, break that mold. Yeah, that that that's yeah, absolutely okay. well, not my, been my 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 experience. I've seen I've seen it hasn't been ours across either, the board. Scott. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have the people of Jewish extraction, Jews in quotes, who work in our organization and. Yeah. That is not our experience. I've, I've just known yeah, too I've, many I've, Jews I've, I've, to I've believe that. I've seen that, that mold broken thousands of times, yeah. Yeah. Gene said his piece there. We, we saw where he was going and stuff. And the fact of the matter is is that, uh, particularly in hey, France. everybody, everybody uh, eats pizza. Come on. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. pretty much, you know. You know, and we have to we have to be pretty careful in terms of uh, yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I staying on the right side of the law because there is a law in France, although, you know, on that I'm, kind of. Uh, proudly, I am proudly on the anti defamation league website as a uh, target. I, I don't subscribe to that kind of ideology. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Uh, Scott, just as I, I don't want to keep you too long. It's been it's been quite a while here. Um, oh, thank you so much. I, I just. I just wanted to ask you one kind of final question, um, which was, which is kind of, if you had a crystal ball and you could see ten years down the line or whatever number of years down the line, where do you see us going? This whole situation? well, you know, well, it depends on what you call us. You know, if it was if it was guys like us that could actually work together to do something to try to change this world, you know, because. It's very difficult, you know. I think we're up against a, a very formidable uh, um, opponent, and uh, and I'd say, you know, if in the future if what would happen is that we could have our systems that we manage, that we could communicate, and and we could be funded with, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars a year for our communications right. platforms, and uh, we could have, you know, our our PR uh, talking to us and. Uh, 
and helping us, uh, um, uh, you know, basically uh, provide a an avenue into the uh, um, the colleges and the uh, and the uh, um, uh, the schools, the national schools and the private schools across the world, to provide them with an alternative ideology uh, outside of the uh, um, the um, unfortunate um, educations and uh, um, I guess. Um, thought processes that they're uh, that they're being given uh that would be something that um you know I'm not trying to you know rule the world uh, to to basically uh you know uh break everybody's uh, um culture or break everybody's uh um sort of religious beliefs but I want people to come at it from a a, a more informed perspective so that they uh they don't you know wake up at 40 years old and go my god everything I learned was a lie and, uh, and mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much what they're going to find out if they start looking. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's the that's the kind of that's the idea world we'd all like to see. Um, so mm-hmm. you're not you're not gonna be you're, you're not gonna be pinned down on on where you think it's going. I know it's it's a strange question, but I mean, do you see an evolution of uh, the whole terrorism business? I mean, it seems to be evolving towards something. Do you see? Uh, well, I don't, I don't see terrorism the same way that they portray it. I see it as, you know, I right. can I can easily go take advantage of somebody whose uh, father, or son, or daughter, or mother, or brother has been killed, and turn them into a vicious killer. I mean, that's that's uh, mm-hmm. that's an easy that's easy prey. Um, I, I see it as, uh, you know, holding people accountable for their having taken advantage of that for centuries. Um, and uh and certainly uh the ones that uh, are still alive the uh, uh ones that are the walking dead uh, like uh Jamie and those kind of guys should be uh, uh um, looking at their last days uh, from behind bars uh you know so that's right. you know ultimately that would be fantastic uh to have uh, right. just uh, thousands of those individuals uh, being held accountable on a global mm-hmm. scale uh, across uh you know every nation that's been responsible and that you know and that includes right. uh you know the kinds of countries that uh, you know I've uh, um, I've been on their networks. You know, obviously there's guys in Russia that have done tremendously bad things uh, that uh, have been not only partners of the Russian government but also partners of the American and their Western allies government. Speaking of guys like Semyon Mogilevich, you know, a very right. notorious uh, um, mobster in the history of the mm-hmm. world who is uh, uh, rides both sides of the fence uh, like uh, like as if it was uh, his uh, entire um horse farm. So um mm-hmm. you know there's there are individuals who you know play both sides. Uh the Swiss have been doing it for quite some time and uh and have been doing it as uh, silent white collar uh, um uh war criminals. So um you know they need to be held accountable as well. So there's there's absolutely no shortage of uh of uh you know witch hunting that could be done, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you know there's certainly a uh uh, a, a serious uh, look that could be taken at this uh, from a an intellectual perspective to you know clearly identify people that have been key players in uh, in, in causing a tremendous amount of suffering and uh, and damage to uh, you know societies around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we can hope and dream maybe, but yeah, we'll, well see. We, I certainly it's certainly a lot better than it was three or four years ago. <laughs> yeah, because sure, I mean, I never well, would have had this call. So that's uh, I appreciate yeah, you guys, including absolutely. me. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's been it's been really great having you on, and I just want to thank you for spending the time with us here because uh, the stuff you're doing. I mean, there are so few, so few of us, relatively, and uh, 
you're one of them out there that, that's fighting a good fight. Yeah. And you've uh, you've been an absolute uh, gentleman uh, to come on today and talk to well, us. So, thank um, you, Joe. And likewise. Do you have uh, you don't have a website, Scott? Do you? Well, I'm I'm just Absolutely. starting one. I'm I'm actually going to uh, uh, finally act on a uh, an initiative that I've been working on for some time now with uh, some friends, and uh, it has not been set up. It's a work in progress. Uh, other than Facebook, mm-hmm. which I'm just Scott Ricard, on, and right. uh, it's Scott Ricard four, and mm-hmm. obviously LinkedIn. I find that to be a very good environment as well. I'm also mm-hmm. on LinkedIn, but uh, the the um, the network is going to be called uh, National Insight, uh, nationalinsight.com, uh, but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's under construction right now, and you'll uh, okay. hopefully see some great things, and we can we can start getting those uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to uh, uh, fund our right. network so that we can <laughs> uh, have that's have a, our own satellite feeds into people's living rooms. Let's apply for some grants. Maybe the NED would help us out there. Yeah, well, we're certainly not going to certainly not going to get it from the powers that be. So we got to go find out yeah. the powers that want the powers that want to be are the ones we're looking for. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, Scott. Listen, uh, thanks for coming again, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stay in touch um, and see where it goes. Thanks for including me, Joe. All right, Scott. Cheers, take man. take uh, take it easy. Have a good evening. Bye. Good Cheers, you too. All right, so that was Scott Rickard, people. Uh, we like Scott a lot. He's a real stalwart. He just keeps on keeping on, and he keeps it real and Keep keeps on. it true. Um, I don't know. Uh, we we I think we've kind of kind of done our done our time here this evening, and we we, uh, we might have talked about some other stuff, but I think it's we don't want to bore people too much, so. Uh, We'll, uh, we're going to end with a new segment uh, on our show uh, that's just debuting. It's called, the, uh, it's called the State of the Universe Report, brought to you by uh, a new reporter at large, or a large reporter maybe. Uh, his name is Aloysius Riley. Aloysius is a Vietnam veteran turned media hack who, when not traveling the world in search of ever more salacious details about the dirty deeds of corporate and political criminals, spends his time plotting world peace in his all-terrain RV in a dangerous alligator-invested swamp in southern Louisiana. So, Aloysius, I think, is on the line right now. What have you got for us this week, Aloysius? Well, what with all the terrorism going on lately, the Irish attacks and the crazy Tel Aviv stabbings, Thought we could take a moment out of our day to learn the ABCs of Western back terror. A Western back terror, you exclaim, hey, that can't be true. Well, allow me to forcibly baptize you in the putrescent waters of objective truth. America gave them money, guns, and propaganda support, concealing this dirty little proxy war to overthrow Assad, mainly because he looks a bit like James Cromwell from Babe. No one really knows why Barack Obama and the West have such a hard-on for Assad. Maybe he forgot to send the Obamas a Christmas card or something. That he's an evil dictator excuse is a bit old and tired, and by now no one's buying it on account of America creating the black-clad, head-chopping, aloe-akbar, screaming terrorists we all know and love, ISIS, or ISIL, or IS, or whatever the hell they've changed their name to these days, beginning to wonder if Caitlyn Jenner is in charge of the PR department, either that or an emo schizophrenic with ADHD. As an aside, have you noticed how all the ISIS terrorists have at least one photo of themselves holding the Quran and a black flag. Hey, Ahmed, here's my iPhone. Take a pic of me looking all hard with the Quran and the nicest flag. 
like they're trying to prove something. To who? You'd think suicide bombing would kind of define you as a terrorist. But now they need headshots at the captain call, too. It's curiously like all them school shooters who post Facebook pics of themselves holding a shotgun and wearing sunglasses and a trench coat. Like they're some kind of cult fans in the basketball diaries. None of these nerds could pull off a cultural menage a trois in a penthouse. Let me tell you, only DiCaprio was pimping up for that. So now we know about the A of terrorism, anarchy. Basically, you give a bunch of fanatical but morally bankrupt 20-somethings some guns, a Bible, and a steady stream of English baby mamas and set them loose on a country that you've been starving with sanctions and libeling with propaganda. The best laid plans of mice and men is this, hey, so here comes B, or backlash. Now that you've created this swarm of strung-out, sicarious, psychologically sick and sodomic sex and steroids, you sit back and wait for them to do what all proxy armies, i.e. mercenaries, have done since time immemorial. Betray you faster than Cypher would Trinity if they were trapped in a room with a two-week supply of retinol. Now it's time for C, as in capitulate to Putin because he has you by the balls. Russia's been bombing ISIS like they live in Dresden, and Obama hasn't been able to take off silly-ass mom jeans long enough to do a damn thing about it. All those captured ISIS jihadis have been sinking like Tina Turner once they realized they were beyond Thunderdome and on their way to the gulag. Russia has more dirt on the CIA's dirty little war than a flea market floor during the Dust Bowl. Beans are spilt, and there's no use crying over a skinned cat. So Obama swaggers up to the G20 like a high school football hero who gained 20 pounds, a widow's peak, and used a Chevrolet dealership, only to find out that Putin's been hitting the gym and hunting tigers while riding on the back of a bear that's actually an extraterrestrial. (laughs) (laughs) He's a what, Aloysius? Are you still on? Is he there? Yeah. All right. What were you saying about a Tyrannosaurus? An extraterrestrial transformer on the first name on a first name basis with Mark Wahlberg. Oh. Obama definitely didn't feel any good vibrations now. So what does he do? The only thing he knows how to do: grab ankles like he lives under a bed. Now it seems James Bond has decided it's better to live on your knees than die on your feet. Better a safe slave than a dead freedman. He'd happily make slaves of everyone to save their lives. After all, freedom and democracy are overrated. Why is it always the people who seem to deserve life the least who cling to it the most? Those who would trade freedom for safety will receive neither, or deserve neither, while American presidential candidates continue to posture more than a breakdance crew on methamphetamines. Russian bomber crews are taken to writing greetings on the bombs that dropped to kill tourists. Hope someone has the presence of mind to write from Russia with love. It seems the Russians are the only ones who actually who are actually intent on killing terrorists these days, as most Western politicians and generals make more like Terry Pratchett's wizards make magic, which is to say not at all. Apparently, two terrorists were able to keep 170 people hostage in a Radisson hotel in Mali. It seems all of these people are part of Hain Saban's personal harem, or at least adhere to his philosophy, the very idea that two people with guns can control 170 people in a 190-room hotel, which actually had security guards, ostensibly armed only with improvised spitball shooters or something, is some kind of indictment of humanity as a whole. Well, I even have security guards, and they ain't going to actually secure nothing. The tragedy is that 18 people still died so much for living on your knees and relying on authority, the terrorists will still kill you. Die here or die hostage. It is a far, far better thing I do than I have ever done. It is a far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. On a lighter note, the U.S. Coast Guard has, during the last few months, seized $750 million of fine Colombian yield, about 25 tons of the stuff. Apparently, upon making it into port, Chris Christie made a tour of the boat where they was holding the white gold, 
In other news, Chris Christie is in trouble with the IRS after $700 million appeared in his bank account. <laughs> Unfortunately, he couldn't be questioned yet by the police on account of him having to undergo facial reconstruction surgery from a collapsed sinus cavity. The U.S., Canada, and the Ukraine voted against a U.N. resolution condemning Nazism. Apparently, the Ukrainian ambassador took issue with the fact that the resolution didn't also include Stalinism. Now, it seems he thinks Nazism is A-OK and was mixed with Stalinism, because only then does it become evil. It's not like mixing Red Bull and milk, or whiskey before beer in the clear. Hitler and Stalin are also appalling, but Nazism alone makes Ukraine its home. My mad lib skills aside, it's pretty interesting to see the U.S., Canada, and Ukraine have formed up into a triumvirate of stupid to rival even the Three Stooges. Having Canada vote with you is a bit like dressing up your retarded cousin in a sham disguise and using him as a shill. Now, those wacky, pardon the pun, Saudis have decided now would be a great time to execute a known poet for apostasy. For those of you who don't have the $10 to spare for apostasy, it means he stopped believing in Islam. Of course, he claims the opposite, saying he still loves Allah and practices Islam. But that won't stop the Saudis and their decapitation fetish. Considering how in an uproar the entire world is about the radical Islamic extremists and the terrorists they create, you'd think the hometown representatives of Sharia law and Wahhabism would be running into the shadows faster than a cockroach at a jazzercise convention. Then on a brighter note, Jürgen Todenhofer, a German journalist, spent 10 days with ISIS and discovered that we all, what we all pretty much knew. The majority of the recruits are intellectually challenged or impoverished kids recruited from the West by promises of money and glory and a big showdown with America. Many of them probably escaped the life of petty crime and the projects of various Western nations, or perhaps recruited because of that. In Dohenhofer's opinion, the way to beat ISIS is to cut off the funds, which he claims is coming mainly from, carefully and surprise, Saudi Arabia and other Gulf states. Hmm. Wonder where we heard that before. All right. Good. With the new military alliance forming, one in which the USA may not even make a second string, the days of ISIS and their supporters are numbered. You have been weaned. You have been measured. And you have been found one. <laughs> wow, that's very good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I'm not you. sure. That's a, a state of the universe address there by... Uh, I was just Riley, uh, and I think he pretty much covered it all, um, right down to Chris Christie and his uh, some inside details there on uh, seven hundred million dollars worth of fine Colombian Yale. Um, Where did you find this guy? Louisiana? Yeah, he's in he's in Louisiana, and uh, as I was saying, that's that's where he reported from anyway, an alligator infested swamp in Louisiana. So um, let's get him back next week in an alternate RV. <clears throat> it's a it's a good place any but anywhere I suppose. So um yeah. Anyway, um we'll see if uh we might have we might be able to connect with him next week and uh, and get him back again uh with another update on what's been going on 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 the big blue marble and beyond it, maybe. But until then uh we're gonna leave it there for this week folks. I just wanna thank Scott Rickard again for coming on as uh, a great guest, and also to Jason, who was here earlier on, uh, who had a bit of an input there on the, on the show, but he took off. Um, next, yeah. Next week, we hope to have someone on. You may have seen him recently on RT. Right. 
telling it as it is. He's an independent analyst, Geroid O'Coleman, based in Paris. So he'll be on with us next week. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so until then, we hope you tune in. Uh, then, until then, um, have a good evening. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe and see you next week.